This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. This one uh, is with a fast friend of ours. Aaron Ritter. So Aaron runs Limitless Outdoors, um, going kind of full bore into that this year. Uh, I've been doing it for a little while, but now he's got an LLC. He started blogging. Um, Aaron's been hunting for 40 years. He's a 28-year Navy veteran. Um, after one of his tours in Iraq, lost one of his legs, got back to deployable status. Uh, Special Forces EOD guy. He is running marathons. He's one sticking. He's doing all this stuff um, all on one leg. And um, actually, at the end of this week, he's got a pretty big announcement coming up uh, for something that he's doing uh, to give back, which uh, is kind of all uh, he's putting out there right now. But uh, pretty incredible stuff uh, that he's doing. So um, definitely go check him out. Uh, Limitless Outdoors, I uh, L I M B limb, like as in missing a limb, limitless outdoors, um, and, and give him a follow, uh, super energetic dude. He was at the latitudes booth. He got to ride in the, the, the shit box of bourbon uh, with us and, um, just a, a good fun podcast. And it's one of those ones where, you know, when you get to hang out with somebody for, you know, any period of time and you're into the same stuff, um, it's just very, very easy. So, you guys are going to love this podcast. Got a little bit of a uh, housekeeping stuff. Um, a couple big announcements for the podcast coming up here uh, very soon. Just finishing up some paperwork, but we got some new partners that we're uh, bringing on that we're really excited about. Uh, a couple different companies that we're working with this year. And uh, I think that's going to be really great going forward. Uh, our giveaway for the Patreons this quarter is going to be a bear. Uh, Montana longbow um, and going to be sitting down with Barrett at the trade show this weekend 
is a traditional show here in Michigan. It's one of the biggest ones in the country. Um, and we're going to sit down and talk. Uh, I, we talked to him at ATA and just talked about like the, the tradition and the traditional bows that bear makes and the history behind them and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, uh, real excited about that, but they sent us a swag pack with uh, a bunch of accessories to go along with the bow. Uh, so we're purchasing the bow. They sent us a bunch of uh, things to go along with it. And uh, uh, Fred Baird biography, um, some patches, uh, a DVD set. So we're going to give that stuff away uh, along with that. And and that's for the Patreons. Patreons support this show. They allow us to, um, you know, what we're doing right now, upgrading the studio. You hear a little bit about that in this podcast. And uh, getting some more into some video stuff for all of the hosting, all of the costs that go along with everything to run this podcast. Um, that comes directly from support from, from the Patreons. And beyond that, we give back and we do giveaways. So that's what we're giving away. Um, we do have uh, Eric Lawrence from uh, Kingsley, Michigan, uh, latest Patreon Real happy to have you on, Eric. Really appreciate the support. And I'll get that uh, package out with your shirt and all that stuff out by the end of the week. Um, send out a package with some stickers and some koozies and stuff. Um, and depending on what it is, some shirts. Um, but you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. There's a link in our Instagram, link on our website, um, all of that stuff. And we also give away... Uh, Spartan Forge. So we're working with Spartan Forge again this year. And one of the things you can go on their website, so SpartanForge.ai and save 25%. And Spartan Forge is like next level military intelligence for deer. So they got all these data points they put into this military tracking algorithm, um, plug in the wind data, weather data, and it tells you kind of where the deer should be on those days. And it's up to like 65% accurate. And their mapping is incredible compared to anything that's out there and it's getting better so in the coming weeks you're going to see some really crazy things out of spartan forge uh, so check them out at spartanforge.ai but like i said this week's podcast is really good really inspirational from a fun upbeat dude so i know you guys are going to love this episode thanks for listening All right, everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast today. So we're sitting down here and like the studio is evolving. We got a TV up on the wall. We can see our, our participant, our, you know, I got fancy cameras here and John back and forth. And, uh, it's a podcast we tried not to do at ATA, but he just kept, he was on us and he was on us and he was on us. And, you know, this guy... You know, he just, he's like a bad penny. He keeps turning up. We have uh, Aaron Ritter, uh, Limitless Outdoors, and uh, he actually bailed on us last week, you know, after hounding us at ATA, following us around the whole time, and uh, it was fine. We reluctantly said we would do a podcast with him, and he bailed on us. Netflix and chill, I think, was the the excuse. Um how are you doing tonight, Aaron? I'm great. I'm really enjoying the lead in. <laughs> well, I mean, I could build it up to be something, you know, that it's not, but that's so I feel like 
I, I say this a lot. And like when we do podcasts, it's always great to have, you know, at least a conversation or a phone call. Uh, so it doesn't feel like a first date, but this was like a, a Tinder weekend. It was like, we hung out, came into our lives and then we were off and <laughs> that was, that was more like it. And, and it, uh, I mean, we did see him in his underwear. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Four in the morning standing there. Uh, was it four in the morning? Oh yeah. That's when we got back and you had no idea what time it was. <laughs> you were just getting up probably. <laughs> Pretty much. So, uh, we'll get into Aaron's story and everything, but, um, so we'll do a little bit of the, the ATA stuff. Well, not to mention, I was late tonight, and I would have bailed, but if since it was Aaron, I'm like, oh, I got to be here for this one. So, <laughs> um, so you know, Aaron, you know, we do this podcast. We've been doing it for a long time, and, and we went down to Louisville for ATA and uh, drove through a giant snowstorm. We're sleeping in the car because we didn't have – the code or a phone number for anybody in the room. And apparently as Aaron's Uber turns around right in front of us and we ended up <laughs> like, Hey, what the fuck, man? Like <laughs> they'll let him in and won't let us in. And I'd seen that, uh, he had, uh, posted a whole bunch of stuff like with latitude and all of that. And I'd seen some of his videos on YouTube. Um, but that was our first, uh, introduction to, to Aaron. And, uh, I think, Interestingly enough, he got to see like what was really like us on on that side of it because like John, you want to talk about uh driving my vehicle down to uh to ATA? Oh, <laughs> the old the hunting vehicle? I yeah. Mean, well it's I mean <laughs> full of shit. I mean dog hair, freaking leaves and dirt and everything i mean you probably just pulled out the tree stand you know yeah. the the saddle i mean your whole yeah. uh, garage full of shit in there uh but then yeah we aaron ended up you rode with us to the right to the show and i was like that's correct this poor guy's getting in here <laughs> well john has a brand new truck and he's like he's like yeah uh well, you're, just, you're driving, right? And I'm like, I guess. Well, like, I was like, I just got back from Florida and I needed an oil change. I'm like, and I went back to work. So I was like, shit, I don't have time to change the oil. I'm like, can we take the old, can we take the burb? Says, like, do you think it will make it? I'm like, do you think the burb will make it? And it has like, how many lights do you suppose it has? On it? Oh, Dings so like I'm driving and I'm like, it's like service engine soon, service airbag, service tire sensor uh, change the oil and it's like hey motherfucker uh can you just pay attention do something so <laughs> it was like for me it was like hey man we're this is this is who we are this is the the real thing and then we but because it's it, for anybody out there that's considering like a car like a suburban or like a large suv an excursion you become the chauffeur like, oh, you got extra seats, right? Like, I'm like, yeah, hop in. So, what was well, uh, let's that's a stretch of the imagination because there was hardly room for me in the back seat. I think you have half of your livelihood in that thing, <laughs> exactly. Hey, I mean, I don't have I do a lot of things, I don't have time to 
be concerned about like the inside of my vehicle. It is a tool. It gets me from here to there. And that's all it needs to do. You're lucky you moved the car seat out of it because you would have been sitting in that. <laughs> it's a mobile storage unit. <laughs> exactly. So what were your first impressions? <laughs> of of what? The Suburban? Uh, just, you know, you're like, here's these two guys roll up in the shit box. Say, hey, can I ride with you? <laughs> like, like, hey, well, maybe I should. Yeah, it was, a, it was just, it's one of those things. It's an icebreaker, you know? I figured, well. You know, if, if these guys are going to be hanging around in a latitude booth for a couple of days with me, are they going to let me ride in their vehicle to the show? And let's see how everybody gets along. That's, you know, it's. Yeah, we're going to we're going to, you know, what, what is it? The, the test by fire. Uh, <laughs> let's just jump in and light some kerosene and see what happens. So needless to say, we are pretty uppity and, uh, you know, particular about stuff. You know, oh, don't, don't, don't bring any sodas in here. No, yeah, no eating, no in eating in the car. This is, this thing is pristine. Um, well, then we picked up the guys from the airport too. Yeah. We, so we had to pick up Greg Litziger, but he had another like sales rep with him who was, he was going to split a car with. And I'm like, well, fuck hop in, buddy. And then I drove off just about with the other guy. I had like one leg in the like, car. Hey, hey, I'm not in. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. That was the burbs fall just taking off on its own. Yeah. We were at capacity. <laughs> he said, no more, no more. Uh, so was this your first time going to ATA? It was my first time at the ATA. And what were your impressions? Like, I mean, did it meet your expectations? Like, John and I have our own thoughts, I think, on that. But Well, there's two ways that I can answer that, Adam. Um, did it meet my expectations or did it meet the expectations that people built up for me prior to arriving to my first ATA? So there's, there's two ways that I could answer that. So for me personally, I thought it was amazing. Um, I loved the fact that there was no mask restrictions or um, there were no um, COVID confinements, I guess you would say. They weren't worried about people's space, you know, how many people were in the show. They just let us live and enjoy the HDA. And I've, I really, really enjoyed that. I thought it was busy. We stayed busy. Um, Latitude, it was either the fact that, that the guys from Latitude brought down plenty of help or they just had that much attention because that booth or exhibit was, was full all the time. Uh, at 8.30 in the morning, when the doors first opened, it was almost like somebody walked straight to Latitude Outdoors. It was great. And um, the, every time I walked around to go to a specific vendor that I wanted to interact with on a particular day, it was difficult for me to go and find time when I did not feel like I was interrupting maybe a, a retailer or somebody more important than myself that they were talking to. So I thought that it was pretty busy. Um, plenty of events. Um, the film festival was great and it was, it wasn't a packed house, but it was busy. Um, you guys were at the film festival. There was, there was a lot of people there. So I thought it was, I thought it was really good. Um, I chatted with a couple other larger vendors that were there. They had a, a different view of it. And there was several people that I chatted with prior to the ATA um, some of them did not attend because they were under the impression that it was going to be 
on the small side. And there's rumor that it was this this attendance wise, this the smallest ATA um, in history. I thought it was incredible. And I know for a fact that it was very beneficial for latitude outdoors. So um, that's my impression of, of uh, ATA of 2022. I thought it was great. Yeah. And, you know, we'll figure out how you got hooked up with latitude and all that here in a second, but they did a really good job bringing Aaron down there because John and I did not, we were not selling saddles and doing demos and stuff. I mean, this guy is swinging around. He's chatting up everybody. I mean, you, the dude was a ball of fire, like <laughs> the whole time. And, and to be honest with you, that's why we didn't get a podcast done down there. Cause John and I were dicking off playing, making plans for drinks later and networking and doing all this stuff. And, and Aaron was really doing a, an incredible job selling. So like, how did you end up down there with latitude outdoors? How'd you get hooked up with them? And then like, why were you at the show, I guess? So we'll, we'll go all the way back to my initial connection with Latitude. When I decided I wanted to break into the saddle scene, we can even talk about that because that was a couple of year process. Um, and it, it's funny too, because I had a conversation with one of the one of the tethered owners about that. Um, when I made the, the decision that I was going to go full saddle, um, I... I did some market research. I watched a lot of YouTube videos on some different brands and I, and I watched what a lot of guys were using and what their thoughts were on the different saddles. And then I, I looked at the difference between a single panel and a two panel. And I, I sent emails out to my top three saddle companies. And one of them, which that company was at the ATA this year, they never even returned my email. Not not even a, hey, hey, thanks, but no thanks. They just ghosted me. And um, Latitude responded to my email and set up a phone conference. And Alex and I spent about 30 minutes on the telephone. And that's why I went with Latitude Outdoors. And I'm really glad that I that that happened happened. And I, I don't believe in coincidence. I, I, I believe things happen for a reason. Um, Alex and Jake and Kevin are hardcore whitetail hunters and they're, they're longtime saddle users and they wanted to create a saddle for saddle hunters and, and they're big on whitetail conservation. And I'm fairly new to the white tail hunting scene. I, I harvested my first white tail. I've been hunting for 40 years, but I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. So I harvested my first white tail in December of 2014. And but I'm big on conservation and wildlife management. And the guys at Latitude Outdoors are they're whitetail fanatics. And so I really, really like that about their company. They're they're not just making and marketing a product. They are making a product based off of their beliefs and their experience and what they want out of the outdoor industry. And that's why I, that's why I think I mesh so well with Latitude Outdoors. Um, how did I end up at the ATA with them? They, um, they reached out and asked some of their um, very faithful product users if, if we would be interested in going down and helping them 
launched their products into the retail scene because up until the ATA, they were they were 100% direct. Out, well, that's not true. Outside of a of a handful, when I say a handful, meaning you could probably count on one hand um, how many retail stores that their saddles were in, and they were local to their home state. Um, so they were they wanted to launch their product into retail. There's only three of them, so they knew that that over that that four day period that um, their their longevity and, and legs in interacting with retailers would be limited. So they they brought some of us down there and. I, I think it worked out really well for him. And so that's that's my history with Latitude Outdoors and why I was at the ATA with them. Okay. Uh, what, um, but you're doing something like on your own too, and we can get into that. Like that's, I mean, they everybody that uses their saddles, they weren't just like, hey, come on down to the ATA show. You know, <laughs> there's probably guys listening to this that are like, man, I had the first one. Like, they didn't call me. Like, that's bullshit. Um, but uh, so you said that you've been hunting for for like the last 40 years. And you also said that um, you don't believe in like coincidence, that everything happens for a reason, which is very interesting um, coming from a guy in your situation, if that's what, you know, we want to classify it as and we haven't even really done that introduction so with you know when we say aaron ritter with limitless outdoors we're not talking about uh, the the common spelling of limitless we're talking about limb like missing a limb limitless spelling outdoors and one thing that we did come away from the ata show with is i've got one of his koozies and his koozies are on point and uh way nicer nerds. yeah but. yeah and, and he, but he did a little bit of market research and was taking pictures of john's uh sweatshirt so so you can get one of those too but like so what's the story with with limitless outdoors and like what is your you know listening to it without you know we know the backstory and everything so but when you say like when i decided i was going to go full saddle it sounds kind of like cliche like every other you know, Tom, Dick and Harry, who's like marketing got me, like, I got to be in the saddle now. Um, so let's, t- let's take it all the way back to like, you know, what is limitless outdoors and we'll just kind of go into your hunting history and the evolution and everything, uh, kind of from there. Well, I, I mean, I was hunting long before limitless outdoors came about. Adam. Right. Um, so which one do you want me to start with first? Yeah. Yeah. So what is Limitless Outdoors? And so Limitless Outdoors, um, that's me. Um, Started it in 2018. Um, Recommended by by a good friend of mine, um, Jody. Um, I, uh, so I lost my right leg uh, below the knee amputee um, in, uh, February 12th of 2015. And, uh, I'm a, I'm a Navy guy. Um, I, uh, I'm a, I'm a retired Navy explosive ordnance disposal technician. And I had come home from my second combat tour in Iraq. Um, I totaled a Harley Davidson and, um, my leg hit a tree and it ripped it off of my body. So I was literally laying about a hundred meters from my leg. And, um, the, the initial up until that point in my life, guys, I had, um, I had always accomplished anything and everything 
that I'd really ever wanted to do. If I, um, I, you know, I, I, I ran cross country and track and played football in high school and, um, loved every bit of it. And I ran a four forty three mile when I was, uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, I, I wanted to be as fast as that I could be. So I ran pretty dang fast for a, for a small town boy in Washington state, um, decided I wanted to go in the Navy. So I went in the Navy and, um, I got out of the Navy after the, my first four years in and decided that I wanted to be a fireman. So I, I went to school and um, spent a few years pursuing that road. Um, in the it, on that road, decided that I wanted to, to ride rodeo, so I became a rodeo cowboy and rode bulls for a few years. Um, and then I was picked up by the city of Walla Walla in Washington State, and I became a paid fireman. And then I decided I wanted to go back in the Navy, so I went back in the Navy, and I ended up retiring um, 28 years um, of service in the Navy. And I, when I went back in the Navy, I said I wanted to go in special operations. So I, I went to EOD school, um, went through the year long pipeline at 33 years old and, um, became an EOD tech, um, and retired as a master EOD tech. I've just, I've, I've, I've always just had the, the ability and the focus and the drive that if I, if, if I saw something that I wanted to try to achieve or accomplish, then I went and did it. And, um, in February 2012, for a split second, all that stopped um, because everything that I knew about my life was on two legs, and I didn't know any, any any I didn't know that I could do anything else other than live my life on two legs, and um, that changed instantly. And um, in that same moment, I decided that I wanted to accomplish everything in my life, whether I had both legs or not, and. Um, I've actually lived a better and more fulfilled life and accomplished more on a prosthetic than I ever did on two legs. And so in 2018, when I sat down with a cup of coffee with Jody, um, she encouraged me to capitalize on that to help other people. She said, you know, you have a great story and you have a, an uncommon lust for life and you should help other people realize that no matter what their obstacles in life are, um, they can still enjoy their life. So w- whether whether it's just a mental block or you're missing a limb or you have some type of a health issue, um, the only reason why you don't accomplish something is it's not typically because you can or can't. It's just because you don't want to bad enough. And so for the first couple of years, guys, it was mainly just Facebook and Instagram. That's really what it was. It started out with Facebook. Um, I created a Limitless Outdoor Facebook page and then decided Instagram would be um, something interesting. So I started an Instagram page and and that's where it stayed for a couple of years. And um, last year, I took it up... Um, when I say it took it up a notch, you know, I, I I created business cards and I started advertising it a little bit more. I started a YouTube channel. You guys have seen my videos, very grassroots filming. Um, I I have a lot of fun with it. Even even when I when I act like I'm trying to set up somewhat of a, like a serious stage or conversation or topic, I'm still I'm still having fun. It's grassroots filming for me. I do everything from my from my iPhone. Um, most of my most of my videos are from a GoPro or an iPhone, and then I I edit everything on my iPhone, and um, I've had a lot of fun with that. And 
I met a guy on a deer hunt. I went to Nebraska in November, um, hunting with two guys I've never met before in my life. I only knew him from telephone conversation and ended up in, in Southeast Nebraska with Tim Ensley and Al Quackenbush. They're both um, diehard Badlands dudes. That's how I ended up associating with them because I'm a big Badlands fan. And the three of us ended up there hunting together. And Al has had a website and a blog and has been doing gear reviews for about 13 years. And I love to write. I started. I discovered writing in 2018 and I've been published a couple of times um, Maryland Bow Hunter Society has published me. Uh, Gameandfish.com has published me, and um, so I've I've been in and out of um, writing some short stories. And Al sat down with me and he said, "Hey, you should start a website and you should start blogging and do gear reviews." And he was like, "You write well and you enjoy it. That would be a great outlet for you, and it would be a great connection for you with people." So I came home from Nebraska and I had toyed with the idea of a website for about eight months. And um, I was working with somebody that was actually going to build and manage my website for me. And I came home from Nebraska and I sat down with um, two of my wife's cousins and um, that they're kind of on the techie side. They're, they're younger kids, um, college and high school age. And we watched some YouTube videos and I educated myself on on building web pages. And uh, I, I, we came home from Thanksgiving weekend and I, I built my own web page. And so I launched that the end uh, November 30th, my web page launched. And um, I don't believe in resolutions, New Year's resolutions. I'm not a fan, guys. I haven't been a fan of them for a long time. And I, and I say that because, and this kind of goes into my, my beliefs, my outlook on life. Um, if you take the word resolution and you break it down into its parts, um, the, the prefix of that word is re is solution. So it's something you've already failed at. And in my opinion, if you've already failed at it, then why are you waiting until January 1st to fix it? Just go fix yourself. It's like saying on Wednesday or Thursday that you're going to start a diet on Monday. If, if you think you need a new nutrition plan in your life, or you need to, to diet, don't wait three or four days to start it. Just start a diet. Just go fix your nutrition, right? Damn, so that's I don't what believe I do. in <laughs> you know it's it's a self perpetuating problem. Um it's um it's like you're self-sabotaging yourself. Oh, I'm gonna wait till Monday, I'm gonna wait till Monday, and Monday never comes. Um, so I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. So I, I woke up January 1st, and um my wife and I we we have a th- the thing where we always go out and we do a new year's 5k together. It's just one of the things that we do. And we returned from our new year's 5k and we're sitting on a couch having a cup of coffee. And I said, honey, uh, she asked me, she goes, do you have any goals for the year? And I said, you know, I hadn't really thought about it. And she said, well, I have a resolution and I have a goal. So we discussed hers. And I said, you know what my goal is this year? I said, I'm doing something with limitless outdoors. I've talked about it for several years. It's time to either do or do not. So I opened up my laptop and I registered Limitless Outdoors as a LLC. I I made it happen. And I said, I'm going to, this will be my startup year and I will make something happen. Or at the end of the year, Limitless Outdoors will just be an Instagram and Facebook page where I post pictures and videos of what, what Aaron Ritter does on one leg. That's just what it's going to be. 
Um, and it's, uh, it's moving. It's pretty exciting. So that's what limitless outdoors is. I, um, I like to show people and help people overcome obstacles. And for an example, in the last eight months, I have had three other amputees connect with me about saddle hunting. Two of them I've helped put up in trees. And one of them um, most recently is working with XOP. Um, I, I, I met their hunting manager at the ATA, um, discussed this individual, and XOP is going to work with him in, in putting this gentleman. He's, the, he's, a very, he's, a, he's a big double amputee diabetic. And so we're, we're working on getting him in the new XOP harness saddle. And I'm working with him on nutrition and physical fitness. And this next October, this gentleman is going to be bow hunting out of the XOP saddle harness um, for the first time out of a saddle. Um, so that's, that's what I do. I, um, I, I want to live my life and fulfill every dream in my bucket. And I look at my life as it's not whether or not I can do something on one leg. It's how I'm going to do it on one leg because I want to live my life the same or better than I did um, prior to my incident. That's what Limitless Outdoors is. So with your, like the hunting um, situation from when you first started hunting and, and we've had this conversation but uh, you can tell us like how you started hunting and uh, what all of that was like for you growing up and, and your passion for the outdoors, just like, like we have. And then I believe I heard you say at the ATA show, and I don't know if this was, you know, before your injury or after your injury, you're a freaking ball of fire uh, anyways, but you said, if this were four years ago, I would have burnt Louisville to the ground um, <laughs> this, this weekend. Um, and, and so from like, give us a little bit of insight into like how you grew up hunting and the passion that you had for hunting. And then after your accident, like, was there a transition period or were you just like, another hundred percent ball of fire. Like, well, fuck it. I got to do it on one leg. We're going to be out, you know, back in the back country or, or whatever. How was that, that transition? Because I feel like exactly what you said there, you know, with the, you know, whether you start on Monday, like Monday never comes. There's so many guys out there that whatever their goals are, if it's to shoot a bigger buck, to shoot their biggest deer, to shoot their first deer, to, get out to try saddle hunting uh, for John. We're going to talk about it here by the end of this uh, about one sticking that their Monday never one comes. Sticking is that <laughs> one sticking is the way, but, but that their, their Monday never comes. They never, they never start, but they don't have, you know, an excuse or they don't have a, a limit other than something that they impose upon themselves. So how was your transition? Like, I imagine you were always this way, but was there a point in there where you weren't after the accident? Uh, no. So as far as hunting, so I, I, I went about 10 years without hunting. 
Um, but that was that was due to my my military requirements. I just I didn't have the desire and the drive to 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 go or, or the time. Let's it's and it's more of the time. It's more I did not have the time to go hunt at the level that I prefer to hunt. Hunting for me is it's not about just opening day, grabbing your gun and, and going out and and being in camp with some guys drinking beer. And if you, if you harvest an animal, great. Um, if, if, if you don't, whatever, we're sitting in camp, drinking beer, having fun. Um, I, I was raised, my father and my grandfather were very serious outdoorsmen. Um, there was no alcohol in camp when I grew up hunting. It was, it was serious business. Um, you were up long before daylight had breakfast and we were in the timber off the road, off the trail, sitting on the ground in the dark when this, when the sun came up and, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, you're not in a stand or in a blind, you, you're spot and stock. And so that's the way I was raised. You were, you were in the woods in the dark and you did not come back to camp until after dark. And then we would recock gear, have dinner, play a game of cribbage or a game of gin rummy. And then you went to bed because the alarm clock was going off at three o'clock in the morning and you were having a bowl of oatmeal and you were putting on your back then it was a fanny pack um, and picking up your rifle and you were walking down the road um, or somebody was dropping you off from a vehicle on the side of the road somewhere in the dark and you were walking into the timber with a map and a compass and you did that all day and then you walked all the way back to camp in the dark. Um, and, and you did it again and then you did it again and then you did it again until it was time to go home. That's just what we did. Um, and we took a, we're very serious about it. And when I, when I went back in the military in 2005, I did not have the time to plan and scout and, and hunt at that level. So I just didn't hunt. Um, and, and I was pretty focused on, on my job and the mission. And when I, when I lost my leg that slowed down for about a two year period because I had to recover before I could make my way back to to what the military calls full duty. And uh, in that time frame, a Marine Corps buddy of mine had access to some private land in Southern Maryland. Um, and it's it's legal to hunt over a feeder in Southern Maryland. So he had a he had a broadcast feeder going with a double ladder stand set up. And um, he called me on the phone. He, he was three hours away. I was in Virginia Beach and he called me on the phone. He said, hey, man, um, I have this private land. Um, I've got corn kicking off um, every morning and every night. And I have this double ladder stand. Why don't you come up? Um, it's it's gun season so we can shoot a shotgun. Come up and shoot a whitetail. And I said, I've never harvested an animal with a shotgun and I've never shot a whitetail. Why don't I come up and shoot a whitetail? So <laughs> I drove up and we crawled up in that double ladder stand and I harvested my first whitetail doe with a 12 gauge slug. And, um, a month later, um, at that point in time, I was a trad, I was, I was on the, on the trad ride. So I, my dad started me shooting traditional archery equipment when I was probably six years old. Um, when I was 16, I bought my first compound. Uh, when I came home from the Navy at, uh, 22, 23 years old, I went back to traditional equipment. Um, and in 2000 and 2014, 2014, I went back to 
compound. So it was after I harvested that bill, I went and bought a new Matthews and I started hunting with him the whole month of January. We hunted archery in Southern Maryland on the weekends. And um, then I went to Spain and I, I just kept shooting my bow over in Spain. And I came back from Spain to Southern Maryland. That's where I spent my last three years. And I, I leased a home um, with access to 55 acres in the rural area of Southern Maryland. I was nine minutes from the base that I worked on and I hunted whitetail and turkey um, right out of my back door. I had I, I did supplemental feeding and had cameras everywhere. And I, I tracked the deer population that was moving through that property and set up a set up a couple of ladder stands and a blind. And I had my hand climber and um and that is the location where I transitioned to my saddle. I um I've always had a strong passion for hunting, but I don't I it's not lackadaisical for me. It's not it's not a weekend thing or an opening week camping trip for me. It's I'm I'm thinking about hunting year round. I'm reading about hunting year round. I'm planning hunting year round. I've I've always had that drive. And um that's really how I it's how I like to do it. I, for me, there's no other way. Um so yeah, I, I have a strong passion for that, Adam. Um my 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 energy for life. Um I used to just be a straight um alpha um extrovert. Just that was it. I, I wake up in the morning, I'm in a great mood and I'm on full throttle until I, until I pass out at the end of the day. And, um, my activities in the military has, um, and my experiences in the military has changed that a little bit. I call myself, uh, I'm an extroverted introvert now or an introverted extrovert and it works both ways. Right. Um, so for me, um, in, in the right, environments this is this is what you get what you guys saw at the ATA is a side of me that that a lot of people see um and then when i came home from the ATA man i was i was drained um i i i i came home i wasn't feeling well and i surfed the couch for several days afterwards um and my my wife was she just took care of me and and let me have my quiet time and there was no run club and there was no you know, going out and socializing. I just, I had to come home and recharge my batteries. Um, and I, I, I'm pretty independent. I spend a lot of time on my own. Now I do a lot of hunting on my own now. Um, and I used to not be like that. I, you know, I was the, the, um, the class president in high school and I was super social guy early in my military career and you know, always involved with clubs and county fairs and concerts and all that. And then, um, started going and, and doing work for the military and and things kind of just changed for me and and I became a very kind of like um almost like a hermit you know just kind of crawl into my hole and spend a lot of time alone um so that that aspect of me has changed but um, my passion for the outdoors has always been super super strong and uh, that's where I like to be it's a healthy place for me to be as well I don't know if that answers your question yeah, just it's, like certainly doesn't answer the question about burning burning Louisville down. That's a whole nother topic. Now. <laughs> well, the, the, my thought process on that was was simply because you know seeing your energy in that room, and it sounds like you're a lot like John um, in the sense of like while you were 
at the show, you know, John's talking to people, he's doing all of these things and, you know, he's in a room with people that he can have a conversation with, you know, that are on the same level into the same things, you know, but like you get John anywhere else and he's just like this. <laughs> yeah. Just quiet. So let's talk about latitude outdoors at the ATA. Um, yeah, I was, um, I was showering in kerosene in the morning, drinking coffee and torching myself off when I got to the Latitude Outdoor exhibit. Why is that? That expo center was full of outdoor people that most of them had very limited knowledge or experience on saddles. And I love my saddle. When I transitioned to saddle hunting, I left everything else behind. And I'm not saying that I think that a tree saddle is the only tool for your toolbox because I don't believe that at all. I, I think that, that climbers are a great tool. I think ladder stands are, and lock-ons are a great tool. I think, I think ground blinds are a great tool. I'm not a fan. I don't care to hunt out of a ground blind, but they're a, they're a valuable tool. I think that the tree saddle is the one of the most effective tools for elevated hunting. And when it comes to being around outdoorsmen or outdoor women who do not have any knowledge or experience in a tree saddle, I get really excited about educating them and introducing them to the tree saddle because it can be life-changing in your hunting world. And I get really excited about it. The other piece of that puzzle is I'm a huge fan of Latitude Outdoors. I, I said it earlier in the podcast. So when I talk to people, I want to educate them about Latitude Outdoors and I want to educate them about saddle hunting. Yeah, I mean, I, I can I can totally see that with from, I, I guess, how did you get introduced to saddle hunting? And let's talk about like just like literal logistics of you know, uh, using a climbing stand with one leg or a prosthetic leg or climbing up climbing sticks because, you know, um, you, you haven't met our, my father-in-law, uncle Frank from the show, but like, he's not doing climbing sticks. He's a 70 year old man. Who's, you know, old and fat and shaped like Santa Claus. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and there's people that are of the same build that are just younger that are going to like Chris, Christopher is going to have a problem hanging sticks and things like that on two legs. I would say based on his physical well, fitness well, and like his, his drive yeah, I mean, to, to do it, you know? So I guess how you're obviously so, just a go getter. You're going to say, well, fuck it. I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to do anything that you can do and I'm going to do it better. And I'm going to, show you but so why don't you break down like what are you are you one sticking are you using regular sticks how i mean how are what's your setup john that's all i've ever done is one stick so when i decided that i was going to switch to a saddle again i i watched a lot of youtube videos to determine what method that i wanted to employ and i decided that i wanted a one stick because for one i was i, I had been carrying um climbers around for miles 
for several years and I was tired of carrying all that weight. I've, I've, I've told people openly that one winter afternoon when I was heading out onto my property to go hunt, I just, I, I decided to get on my scale. I had all of my gear with me. I was 50 pounds over body weight. It was dead of winter. It was a cold hunt, but everything that I was taking with me with my, my hand climber, I was 50 pounds over. That's my bow and everything, right? Um, total gear stepping out of my, my garage, 50 pounds over body weight. And so one of my drives for saddle hunting was reducing that hunting load. I'm, I just turned 49 years old. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not old, but I'm not young and I'm, I'm, I'm beat up. I mean, I've, I've wrecked my body in 49 years. So putting 50 pounds on my back to go hunt for an afternoon, it's a lot of weight to, to lug around. Right. So I'm, I was looking at ways to reduce that load. Saddle hunting is that. And I decided that, well, rather than carrying four sticks, why not carry one? And, uh, the other piece of it too is, you know, I've, I've done a lot of air operations for the military and the, the method of descending out of your tree as a, as a one stick saddle hunter is you get to repel out of your tree from whatever height you're hunting from. And so that's really, that's fun. You know, whether, whether you have a good hunt or not, um, repelling out of your tree at the end of the, the end of the hunt is just icing on the cake. So I said, Hey, I'm going to be a one stick guy. So I watched. I had two favorite videos that I watched over and over and over, and that's really what I I am molded my my gear and my my climbing and descending method from. Um, I I could probably look them up in my YouTube history and send it to you guys when the podcast's over, so you can see the videos that I that I cut my teeth on, John. If you're looking at being a one sticker, um, but that's just that's just what I decided I was going to do, and then. What what I did from that point was I I ordered all my gear and then I spent several days going in the backyard, going down to the the local city park, and I practiced. I, I broke everything down into stages and I practiced every evolution and I figured out how I was going to be a one stick saddle hunter with a prosthetic. Um. And I became very proficient at it. And um, that's all I've ever done. I own one stick. <laughs> nice. So with now your- that's changing. That's changing this year. I, I'm going to change some of that this year. Um, but that's I I have I have two saddles. I have one platform and one stick. So you're um you outlined like when you reached out to saddle companies and you were going through that process, like, did you have any experience like getting your hands on a saddle um, before that? Cause that's one of the things, you know, we try to do and we advocate for anybody to go to any of the teaching trains to any of the shows where the, the, you know, saddle companies are going to be, find a buddy, find somebody, you know, with social media networking. Um, so did you have like any hands-on experience with a saddle or you were like, those seem like good guys. We had a great conversation. Send me what you got. No. So, um, I knew a couple of guys that had saddles. And so this is where the, the tethered conversation, um, is takes place. I, I, I won't call him out by name, but um, his first name rhymes with Kurt. And um, Kurt was a big tethered guy. And um, I, I knew Kurt 
off of um, some hunting social media sites. And um, Kurt was posting pictures of him in his tethered saddle and hunting out of his tethered saddle. So I called Kurt on the phone and I said, hey, let's talk about this saddle gig. And, um, and we chatted about it. He's like, Aaron, you got to do it. You got to figure it out because it's, it's the, you know, it's the greatest thing since, you know, a, a pocket on your shirt. And I was like, Hey, that's great. Um, he didn't really say that, but, um, I asked him, I said, what's the longest period of time you've hunted out of your saddle? He said, well, right now he said three, four hours tops. I, I, I haven't hunted out of my saddle in, for any length of time beyond that. And I said, well, that's not going to work for me. I'm a, Cause I'll, I'll, I'll sit all day in my climber. I'll go out in the dark, come home in the dark. So if, if, if your, if your time frame in a saddle is limited to three to four hours, then that's not a tool I want in my toolbox. Um, and I walked away from the idea of a saddle for about two years. And then a really good friend of mine, Andy Young started doing some research on saddle hunting. And, um, he and I, we live, we met in Southern Maryland. We lived 45 minutes apart from each other. And um, he and I started talking on the telephone about saddles. And then I called another mutual friend of ours who uh, hunted out of trophy lines. And, um, and I chatted with him quite a bit about his trophy lines. And then I started doing my research. When I, when I picked my top three saddles, I had never put one in my hands. And I chose the latitude. And I started hunting out of the, the method. And after I received my saddle, then I started connecting with people that had other brands of saddles. And I, and I played around in their saddles. Um, my, my buddy, Andy, um, that had kind of, that kind of reignited my interest in the saddle industry, he went with a tethered phantom. And um, I, um, I don't speak negatively about any other saddle products or really any hunting products uh, in general, but specifically saddles uh, because there's, you know, everybody's so different um, and everybody has a different interest and everybody has a different, you know, need or want um, their bodies are different. Um, and so I, you know, it's not, it's not fair for me to say, Hey, this brand is a bad saddle or that brand's a bad saddle. Um, I would say that um, if if a newbie comes to me or if anybody comes to me and says, "Hey, um, this 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 hawk saddle is a really good deal. What do you think of this?" My response isn't, "Hey, that's junk or that's a bad saddle." My response is, um, "That's life safety gear. Your saddle, your 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 tether, um, all of your equipment is life safety equipment. Um, I would not recommend buying the cheapest." possible life safety equipment you can get your hands on because that's exactly what it is you're putting your life safety in the in 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 the hands of that product um so that's that's my outlook on that but i've i i i've been in other saddles i've handled other saddles since i picked up my first method um hands down i still think latitude makes the highest quality saddle on the market and the most comfortable yeah. So that's uh, yeah. John's hunting out of the method, method two. two, and that's the method two XL, right? Yeah, I got the XL. And you won't. We, I mean, so we've hunted out of all of. I mean, yeah. Tro I started out in trophy lines. We, you know, back when. So 
I don't know if you ever heard my backstory, but I mean, I've always hunted out of, you know, climbers. I had like the APIs and I had the summit. I mean, and the thing's huge. I still have it still yeah. collecting dust up into my shelf. Um, I should unload that thing. But <clears throat> then we went, when XLP come out, we bought the XLP setups and I went with the bigger one. I can I can never remember which one it was. Yeah. But with that and four sticks and I have a bad back and matter of fact, the one year Adam and I were supposed to go out. Well, 2018, we went to Idaho elk hunting. 2019, we weren't going elk hunting, but we were supposed to go out to like South Dakota and we're going to do a, like a long weekend antelope hunt. Well, my back was out, like ended up, I was down for like five weeks. And so that brought us into like our whitetail season. And I was just starting to get, you know, like comfortable again. And my XOP with the stand sticks. And then of course I had all the camera gear and and Adam, I get all Adam's hand me down. And I had the muddy pro, which is like a freaking eight pound camera arm for a little tiny camcorder. But my pack weighed like my system when I hang it on my scale was 63 pounds. Yeah. And it's like, I almost left it out in the swamp at one point. I'm like, it was only like three quarter, three quarters of a mile, but it took me two and a half hours to get through this shit. And I, at one point, I was just gonna just like screw this. If, if anyone ever finds it, which I know they won't, because no one's ever coming out here. But so that's why I told Adam, like, "Hey, dude, I'm at, at a couple other hunts. I actually like." I got to the location and I could just feel it in my back. I'm like, I just left all that shit in the truck. And then I just walked out and sat on the, on the ground. I'm like, there's no way if I, you know, I'm going to be calling someone to come get me out of here. So that's when I told Adam, I'm like, I got to figure something out. And so he was like, well, I'm not hunting. Take my, he, at that time you had the manis. Uh, yes. Yeah. But just on a side note, John had ridiculed me. Up- <laughs> Up one side and down the other. Because, <laughs> oh. you know, he comes over and I'm trying it out in the tree and I'm doing all the stuff and my daughter swinging around in it and everything. I get over here and, yeah, Adam's hanging on this the pine tree next to his house. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? I said, you're not getting me in that diaper looking thing. <laughs> like, And uh, I'm like, I'll, I'm fine. I'll stick with the, the stand, you know. But then come down to the point where I was like, I'd eat my words, like, I'll try it. I'll try anything just so I can hunt. And I went out and hunted in it one night. And I was like, do we got to get one of these for me? He goes, order me one. Yeah. But at the time, uh, that was like, it took you like six weeks to get yours. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And your mom called him left. My mom called Tethered. Yeah. Next time you see Ernie, ask him about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My mom made a. (laughs) He's like, oh, that was your mom? (laughs) So, so I ended up, well, what's, what's the name from Sean, Sean from trophy line ended up sending, uh, that's, they just launched. And so we ended up getting one of those and I hunted out. I mean, it came in the mail and I picked it. Actually, it got shipped to your house. I picked it up. He picked it up off of my doorstep and went hunting. Like <laughs> there's a box that got trophy line stickers. Take it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, picked it up and I went hunting. And I've been, I haven't used a, a stand since. So, 
And like, and that was comfortable. It was just a little cumbersome. The first trophy line, it had the big belt, you know, for a bridge and it's a, it's a big saddle, you know, big, heavy, but it worked. I mean, yeah. you know, it's another, it's just like, like what you're saying, everybody's body is different. And so you just, the best thing to do is just try, try them all. But I mean, like with, with latitude, you know, I know you were running the classic. I still am. Yeah. yeah. And then I was running the Phantom up until last year. And then I'm like, well, we tried out the the two panel latitude before they were even. Before they even launched, we tried out like some janky looking. Like, it was one of their prototypes. It was their prototype. First. And it had like carabiner. Like, so where the bridge loops hold it together right now, I believe. There were carabiners. That was carabiners. So there was two carabiners there, and then that's what the bridge attached to. Yeah, and it was like, it was comfortable. Like, it's definitely comfortable with the two-panel system, but for one, I- too much metal. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I want the least amount of metal on my equipment as possible. So even like now, I don't use two carabiners on my linemen. I just always girth hitch on my left side and then just use one carabiner and then- I tuck it in my, you know, dump bag when I'm all, you know, when I'm. I don't. I don't even. I don't even use a lineman. Well, because you're one sticking, though, right? Yeah. So I, I, I carry, I carry a lineman if I need to navigate around limbs or bifurcation in the trunk. Right. But other than that, I don't. I don't, I don't use my lineman. Yeah. So that's another, you know, plus for the. So that was a, that's another thing that Adam's probably getting at. It's like because I'm like. Screw one stick, and why the hell would you ever want a one stick? Well, I mean, we already cut down the shit. I'm like, why not just carry four sticks? Why do you want to go down to one stick? Well, I mean, that's just ridiculous. And then, you know, like Taylor Chamberlain, his video come out, and Taylor's a big dude. And uh, well, I'm sure you met him at ATA. And, uh, of course, he looked a little cumbersome when he was doing his video when he was repelling. But the the nice thing about it for me is, when you go out with four sticks, you're limited to the height of that those four sticks, unless you know you got your aiders, and then you're stretching them out and trying to get as high as possible. You know, if you need be, if you're in a tree or in an area with you know, especially late season, you don't have much cover. You're gonna want to get up as high as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, with a one stick, you're only limited on your rappel rope length, right? I mean, so right. you could go up forty feet. Of course, now you're you got a pretty sharp angle, but if you're hunting hill country. So, so my, my, my answer to that, John is just carry a 40 foot tether. (laughs) And and, and so, but it's, it's true. You know, when you, when you look at the saddle industry right now, you, you have, you have two different thought processes, right? You either have guys that carry multiple sticks and they, and they have, they have eighters, on those sticks and they're only getting as high as those four sticks through some guys carry three, right? However many sticks they're going to carry three or four sticks. And then they have their, their like six to eight foot tether because that's what is ingrained in their mind from the industry standard. And then you have the one stick guys, they carry one stick with a, with a tether that reaches all the way to the ground. I, I have a 40 foot tether because I, I will sometimes ascend to heights of 30, 35 feet. Um, I've, I've literally 
hunted in a tree where my, the end of my my rappel rope is not even touching the ground. It's like two or three feet off the ground. Um, but why 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 do not guys why why do guys not look at mixing or combining the two? Um, and I'm going to do that this year. My thought process is because, I, like I said, I own one stick. Um, but what I find is if I find an area and that one tree that I really like, I'll hunt that tree for days. And so why am I going out to the same tree sometimes twice a day? If, I, if I'm not doing an all day sit, why am I going out and one sticking up and down that same tree once or twice a day for multiple days in a row? It doesn't make sense, right? Um, so this year, I I am going to have three different sets. I'm, I'm going to have two multi-set rigs, and I'm going to have my one stick rig, and I'm going to have multiple platforms so that if I go into an area that I like, um, and this works really really well on a lease or pub, uh, private land because you don't have to worry about your stuff walking away, right? Um, I can I can start out with my one stick and I could go hunt and scout for a morning. And if I find that one tree that I think, Hey, I want to hunt here for a few days, I will leave my platform up in that tree and my, and my tether line up in that tree. I'll bring my one stick out with me and I'll go back to the truck and I'll get my four sets, my four sticks. I'll go back to that tree for the afternoon hunt. And I'm going to go set those sticks and they're going to stay there. And then when I decide I want to move, or if I if I hunt that for a day or two, or the wind's not right, whatever the reasoning is, I can grab my one stick and I go I I can go hunt and scout another area. And if I find another really really good tree that I like, then I can set up another platform, another line. And I can go back to the truck and I can get those four sticks and I can go back and I can set them. Um, now I, I'm not necessarily saying that I'm going to have three forty foot tethers hanging out in my truck. Um, but what I am saying is, um, if you have four sticks and, and you want to play around with having that, that top stick as a employee, almost like a single stick, just have that 40 foot line up in your tree. And then when you, when, if you're in a tree where you're like, you're like, wow, man, I can only get to 20 feet with my, with four sticks, but I'd really like to be 30 feet up in this tree. Then that that top stick, you can just run it just like a single stick. Just bump it up the tree. Just do your leapfrog up the tree, and then when you come out of the tree, just have your your pole line attached to your to your tether, and then just rappel down the tree, taking your sticks down with you. And when you get to the bottom, pull your rappel down. It's very simple. We and that's what I really love about saddle hunting. It's it's really up to your imagination. You don't have to be stuck in the cookie cutter mold of a one stick guy or a multi stick guy merge them together and go hunt how you want to hunt. It's, it's kind of like, it's, it's the freedom of being able to choose any tree that you want in the woods. Once you, once you drop that hand climber down on, on, on the floor of the shed and you, and you start employing your tree saddle, you're no longer stuck to that straight limbless tree anymore. So don't let your saddle methodologies be constrained to the cookie cutter molds that our industry currently has. Hunt your saddle and your sticks however you want to. Make them work. It's only limited to your imagination. That's what I mean. I never even thought of what you just said, like with the four sticks. And then if you want to go higher, if you have the the system, 
just one stick up a little farther. I mean, that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's just so simple. It's just like, I couldn't see the forest through the trees. What the hell? You know I mean? But the funny thing is, is John was like bashing on all of this stuff, all this stuff. And this is, you know, cause I, uh, I can't ever have a good idea. It's John. Oh, no. Uh, John's I don't ever say the, that. John's the guy, right? I'm just a skeptic. <laughs> I gotta be skeptic. Cause Adam's all like, oh, look at this. He's like squirrel. Like, no, come on, dude. We got to reel you back in here. And then, but so I ordered a one stick. So right over here, we got a whole one stick set up. Uh, Do you? Yeah. And uh, I said, I said, John, I know you're going to, I said, I, I know you saw Taylor's video and you kind of said, you know, you're, and he's like, he's got it and he's got the safeguard and he's messing around with it. And he's like, well, I was, you know, I was thinking about it. I was so, like, I'll eat my words. I'll eat crow. I'll go on here and tell everybody, yeah, uh, once again. <laughs> Give it a right. shot. I, I, I recommend practicing with it before you go hunt with it, John. It'll yeah. be a much more pleasurable experience. And that's one of the things that I see with new folks in the saddle industry is they'll, you know, they'll they'll watch some YouTube videos, they'll they'll jump on a couple of um, Facebook social media pages, and then they'll order all the stuff and they the first time they use it is in the dark when they go to hunt. Yeah, that's and and then, then and then they, they then they post about that was the most miserable, loudest, annoying, longest experience I've ever had. I was a sweaty mess up in the tree. I dropped half my stuff, cut my leg open. You know, you just hear these horror stories, and and somebody will ask him, "Well, how many times have you done it?" Oh, well, I never had. I just got my stuff and went hunting. And it's like, well, man, you don't. When you when you turn sixteen, you don't get behind the the wheel of a race car and take off down the freeway. You know, it's you 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 know you you go down to the industrial park and drive your car around a little bit and hit a couple of light poles before you get your license and go you know get on the interstate. And um, it's you know that's I I highly encourage people to get their hands on their gear and play with go, go out in the backyard or go down to the park and climb a tree once or twice before you pick up your rifle or your bow and and go try to deer hunt out of it, especially if you're going to do it for the first time in the dark. I I, I practice my stuff. Again, man, I I, I I jumped out of airplanes for the Navy. Um I I I repelled out of helicopters for the Navy. Um I you know all that kind of stuff. And when I got my saddle gear, I I I went out to the tree in the backyard and I play I, I practiced for for days before I actually went out hunting. And the first time I went hunting I went out, I went out in the daylight. I didn't go in the dark and I, and I came out of my tree in the daylight and it wasn't because it wasn't because I couldn't do it. It was because I didn't want to do it that way. I wanted to make sure that, that what I was doing was the right way to do it. And that I wasn't going to break my gear or break my body. And I wanted to enjoy the process. And so that's what I did. And, and I've become really efficient with it. And I, I would really encourage new saddle hunters to take their time with it, spend some time researching gear. And then when you get your gear, spend some time with your gear, set it up, right? Go practice with it before you actually go out and employ it. You'll have a much better experience saddle hunting. That's like the best advice ever. Cause I mean, even, you know, even though we've saddle hunted now for years, like, what has it been three years now? Four years. I'll do the same thing. Like I'll go out and Adam will give me something new. And then it's like, it's like a freaking yard sale and I know better, but it's like, I, 
like, man, I wish I just would have practiced this at home or whatever. And I think John's like your, your issue. Well, first of all, I'll say, so uh, I'd say you're, you're coming from like a military background, an adult perspective, but I, I feel like there's a lot of generation of people, new hunters and, and all that, that like are of a different generation like, you know, when I tell people that I'm 40, they're like, I didn't realize you were that old. Or they say that to you, too. And I'm sure Aaron gets that, too. And it's like, you know, there was a lot less, like, we didn't grow up in a, in a time frame of Amazon. Amazon is like, you get it tomorrow. Like, you order this shit, and it I comes. Ordered a, I want it here, like, now. And, and so you can get in with all this hype and that's why i think it's interesting that it was the first saddle that you ever got to play with or sit in um and it worked out that well for you because i think people buy into all this hype and you know there's all the saddle bashers on all the social media i mean social media is a toxic toxic place because nobody gets hit in the face anymore but right. but the <laughs> but the but the fact of the matter is talk shit get hit is it, you know they want this stuff and then it goes to the same thing where John he comes and gets it off the doorstep and he's already in the woods and it's a faction of time you know you only have so much time and then especially like in the middle of the season when something goes wrong and you want to make a change you know you're not going to be like well I I spent you know, however many hundreds of dollars or, or, or Adam did, um, and, the podcast did not. and, uh, it, you know, you want to use it right now. You don't want to do that. And you're not thinking about that. It, well, pe- most people are uh, generally speaking, those people with the bad experiences, they're not thinking about that in July that they're going to go out and do that. So from like your background as, a an adult like a real deal adult who's like had like life experience and didn't grow up in an era of amazon and we're gonna have it tomorrow and from a high speed low drag like if my chew isn't packed right i'm gonna fucking die scenario you know you're you would be like the exception to that rule right (laughs) but that's why i try to um you know, educate people. When I, when I talk to people about hunting or hand climbing or saddle hunting, I try to share my, my, my knowledge and experience from my background, you know, be, be it military or the fire department. They were both, they both carried the same mentality. Um, one was um, the first time that you use or get your hands on a new piece of gear should not be when you need to use it in a practical scenario. You want to use it in a controlled environment where you where you can learn about it. You know how it works. You know how it breaks, um, and you know how to employ it. Right. Um, and then the other piece of it is we call them high risk evolutions. And so when you're going to, with threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending. Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you're going to execute a high-risk evolution, you want to know how and why you're doing it, and you want to be proficient at it. So how do you do that? Well, prior to going and doing that, you break it down into its simplest steps and you practice those steps, then you put it all together. We call it a dirt dive, and then you actually go out and do it. Um, and so that's that was my whole, that's how I was introduced to a hand climber. And that's how I run my 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 saddle, my my saddle hunting. I do the same thing. When when I am really looking forward to latitude um coming out with their new sticks this year. Um, when their sticks come out, I'll be in the backyard playing around with their sticks. Um, I've been on both of their new platforms and, and one of their platforms, it's what I, you know, I, I reference it as the industry standard. You know, it's basically just a pack, a pancake platform. I'll go out and put that on the tree. I want to see how it cams over. Um, and, and, and I, and I, I want to test its, its failure points. When I say failure points, I want to see what I have to do on that platform to get it to kick out. And that's one of the things that I did with my gear when I first got all my my one sticking gear. I played around figuring out what caused my stick and my platform to kick out. And I don't have kickouts because I know how and why they happen. And um and that's really important because guys complain about that. They talk about their I had a kickout today it was terrible. Well, have you ever put your stuff on the tree in the backyard at ground level and put yourself on your on your tether and put yourself at different angles and in different weight distributions to see what causes your particular brand of stick to kick out most guys haven't and so when they're at 20 feet in the air and they have to change positions or they're climbing that that angled tree that they're not used to doing or they I call it a technical tree you know the more technical your tree is the more likely you are to have an incident when you're climbing, right? Um, and so I try to make my gear fail when I'm in that controlled environment before I go out and I have a and I have a 15 pound bag on my pack with with lines hanging all over me and I'm climbing up my tree. And when you're climbing that angled tree, that's when you're probably going to kick your stick out. Um, but again, most people don't practice that. When I when I get the new latitude platforms, I'm going to be in my backyard, especially with the with the new. And we haven't. When I say we, they haven't named it yet. Um, but uh, I will be in the backyard with it on all kinds of different angles on that thing, trying to get that thing to kick out off the tree because I want to know. Especially, you know, it's it's one thing to to be climbing. And to have a kick out and you're just dangling off of your off of your tether um or off of your lineman's belt and you're having to reset that stick. Um, what about if it's that that animal of a lifetime that's standing there 15 yards from you and at a it in at a at an off angle shot and you're leaning off of that that platform or the the top step of your stick trying to get that lifetime shot on that animal? And you and you kick your platform out because you because you never practiced that one particular angle, right? So that's that's the other aspect of that playing around in the backyard for me. I, w- I want to know when it's go time. I want to know how my gear is working. That's important. 
It's the platform's fault at that point. I mean, whoever made <laughs> right? that cake wasn't your fault. I mean, yeah, they said yeah. saddle hunting is supposed to be so easy, it's supposed to be so effective. And the first time I used it, I mean, the first time I put it on a tree, it was this big buck, and then it kicked out. You they know, I got it's got to be their fault, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so for you guys, and the only thing that I thought about when you said incidents and in technical trees. I thought what I would consider the incidents that I have are sweating and cursing. <laughs> like that is exactly <laughs> what happens when I get into those technical trees. It is. That's when I sweat a lot more and I swear and I t look at the tree and I tell myself every single time, why do I pick trees like this? Why do I do this? They say you can get in any tree. Like, why do I have to prove it? Um, it, that when you said incident, it's it's cursing and sweating. Uh, those are the incidents that will one hundred percent occur. Um, but for you guys, that but that's a beauty. <clears throat> that that's a beauty saddle hunting, though, Adam. Is when you, when you find that one particular rub or that scrape, or you're you're in that area that has all that sign, and there isn't that nice easy tree to climb. That's one of the benefits of being in that saddle is you can look at that difficult tree. Say, I, I climb you. It's going to happen. It just might take me a little bit longer today than, than it normally takes me. I have met my match with one tree. I was in Missouri <clears throat> and I ended up setting a, a tree maybe 15 yards away. And uh, it didn't really matter. I didn't see. I saw some small does. But um, it was a big tree that was big at the bottom and then it went into a double but it was your favorite kind of tree, the uh, honey locust with the giant spikes. Oh, yeah. And it just wasn't worth it. It, it might have been the tree, but it wasn't worth it. I don't know if you've ever hunted a honey locust tree, but they have like six-inch spikes that are like poisonous. And uh, Yeah. Oh, I had to climb one. <laughs> You yeah. don't want to. You don't want to screw with those. Things. That that <clears throat> that was the tree, um, and I I abandoned that ship. Um, but, but for you guys that are platform guys, and there was a lot of comments and a lot of things um, from the show because nobody had seen that platform before, and I, I I hunted with them in Wisconsin, so I had seen it before and messed around with it and. I'm, like, I'm calling cool. it the dream catcher <clears throat> until they name it. Otherwise I'm calling it the dream, whatever catcher. it's the pentagram. Come on. They should be call it the deer slayer and freaking <laughs> market it like that. It's rain and blood. I mean, come on. Like that's, that's what it looks like. It looks right? like a goat to me. <laughs> and so, but what did you guys think of it as far as like the design and everything? I know you were bouncing around on, I don't know. You, you got on it a little bit. Yeah. I, I sat on a little bit. I mean, I think what, I mean, weren't they like going to add that to like the ring of steps or they, 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 they talked about putting, uh, you know, well, so on the bottom I, and I, there isn't any great, uh, photos of it. I don't think, um, that I'd seen, but on the bottom underneath where the attachment point is for the cam buckle. And I don't know if it's a button or if it's machined in there, I, I don't recall, but they do have a slot machined in there to put another strap with a ring of steps. Right. Yeah, right. That's, and it ends up yeah. being right about platform level. So, yeah. yeah. It's, 
it's a great design yeah whether you want to call that the sh- the shaft of the platform or the spine of the platform um they've 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 machined those hooks in there to accommodate one inch webbing for your ring of steps mm-hmm. but so for everybody that was like what a stupid design it looks like it's the one thing that i didn't get is like they everybody the things online said well, it looks like it's going to be difficult to pack it's the same sh- size it's not like it's a giant platform. I, I, I think it would be the same to pack i mean if not easier because it's not as wide the whole way down so it's just like i i was picturing it in my pack like i always put my platform up at the top well then my sticks would sit right next to it even with the standoffs could be like right underneath that part and it would all buckle in nice and tight but yeah adam I, you hit the nail on the head earlier that social media is toxic and you know so when when people um, let's use latitude for a specific example they posted a photo of the dream catcher online now in defense of some folks that have misconceptions of that platform the, the photo of that platform um i don't know if it was in taken in portrait mode or how it was how the, the photo was shot that when i look at it knowing what it looks like in my hands and standing on it for three hours straight at the ATA, it, 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 the proportions did not look right. In that photo, it looked really, really wide. Um, and so I, I think that's where some people were looking at it as, wow, if you put that on your backpack, it's going to catch on everything while you're walking through the woods. Uh, but the flip side to that is, you know, if, if you haven't really seen the specs on something, you, you can't really speak as to how it's going to pack, climb, stand, you know nothing about it, right? Other than it's a completely different platform than anybody has ever seen. Um, as an amputee, I was really interested in it because um, if I stand in the same position for a long, for an extended period of time, and when I say extended period of time, like 10 to 15 minutes, if I stand at attention for 10 to 15 minutes, my leg and my socket really, really starts to hurt. I, I, I want to shift or move my feet a little bit, and it doesn't take very much movement. It could be, you know, four or five inches, or you know, moving from being at attention to parade rest, or like having my feet shoulder width apart. Um, I was very intrigued by that platform, and I wanted to see how my leg would react to that because that platform is is designed to have your feet shoulder width apart, closer to the trunk of that tree for the for the extent of your hunt you know it's it's not designed for your feet to be out on the front portion of the the wedge of that platform and i mean you guys were there i i i i was on that thing for three hours straight that one day hang swinging around in that saddle i loved it it puts your body at least i think it puts your body in a very natural position um and i really liked having my feet closer to the tree um, and, and it gives you great movement around the tree and I I've never used a ring of steps. I'm going to employ that this year as well. And so after you say that, like, so my first year I hunted with a ring of steps, I used the wild edge steps and I'd loved having my feet be able to be close to the tree and spread out. And then, I mean, I love the platform. I like, I like being able to stand up, turn around and, you know, on the platform, 
now that you say it, I mean, that is a perfect design, like the way they have that set up. I mean, and I'm always doing the same thing with a bad back. I can't just sit in the same position for, you know, an hour straight. I'm always, I'll, I will actually like put my foot, like I usually end up putting my top step, my top stick up near my platform. And then that way I can adjust and then like bend one leg, put one straight down on that. And so that platform definitely will be, I mean, when it comes out, I'll have to have Adam buy one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And and John, I, I I put the top step of my stick. um, It's always on the right side of my platform and it's, it's the same height as my platform. And it's somewhere from about a 45 to a 90 degree um, position from my platform. So I can use that um, to work around the tree as well. But um, I, I think that that, again, it's what I'm calling the dream catcher. It's a, it's a, it's a very unique tool. I wouldn't recommend it to a brand new saddle hunter, but to somebody that's, that's spent a season or, or more um, saddle hunting. If you look at, at a photo of that platform on the internet and you think to yourself, that's trash. I would never get up in a tree in that. I think you're doing yourself a disservice that you need to try to go get on it because I think it's really going to surprise you. It's a, it's a great tool. Yeah, it'll definitely, I'll have one. It'll definitely, definitely give you options in a long sit where you can adjust your legs. Cause they like said, I'm always doing the same thing. I'm always fidgeting with my my legs is trying to get, you know, to stay comfortable that my, you know, I'm super comfortable in my two panel saddle, the method two, but it's usually my legs or my feet that, you know, that are bothering me. And what's, um, anybody that's been the most natural recommended athletic stance, you know, whether you're playing a sport, whether you're lifting, um, what, whether you're into light combatives, um, it doesn't matter. The most natural body position is to have your feet shoulder width apart. And the majority of platforms that are currently on the market, you can't, your, your feet are, are, are closer to like waist width. And that platform is giving the hunter the ability to get their feet shoulder width apart. You're in a, you're in a very natural stance. Yeah. I, it's a fighting. It's a fighting position. Yeah, shoulder width apart, knees slightly bent. <laughs> Shooting <laughs> position too, right? Yeah. I don't fuck. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I, I don't know how to do that. Um, <laughs> but what stick are you using? So you you just have one stick, huh? I have a modified API. Uh, it's cut down to seventeen inches. It has a Versa button on it, and it has um, out on a limb um, steps. One at the top, one at the um, not steps. It has um, Stand- it has their standoffs. How their did standoffs. You, how did you end up at seventeen inches? Because I mean, just like saddles, it was and- a shot. It was a shot in the dark, and it ended up being the perfect length because when I stand on the um, on the bottom step, I can hook the bottom step um, in the back of my knee and stabilize myself when I'm when I'm working my tether up the tree or or if I'm. But prior to having my platform set, I can stand on that that bottom step and and lock my knee in between that the top step and the trunk of the tree. It's great because the same thing with the 
the saddles as it is with the the sticks is like we've tried i i've tried to try every single saddle that or stick that i can come up with and like i used the trophy line so i used the wingman i was really excited when that came out i used the artisan outdoor um top stick platform um i used it on modified apis i used it on the beast sticks and then um the trophy line came out and i didn't see it, it didn't seem logical to use that platform with any other sticks so i used their sticks all year but they're 17 inches long and i'm not i'm not as tall as john i mean i'm about six foot and it just seemed like it was too short now i had used the 24 inch b sticks prior to that and i cut my apis down also to 24 inches just to completely emulate the the b sticks and 24 at you know eight degrees with big bulky clothes on was too far right that and so i've got a set now i think they're over there of the 20 inch b sticks and those are i think just about perfect as a size but a lot of the one stick i mean out on a limb makes one that's like it only has one step on it and it's yeah 10 inches long or something like that so do you use do you use any aiders on your sticks so i have the i have two of the um timber timber ninja aiders and then i have a three-step aider and i mean you want to talk about like getting fucked up like (laughs) i had used this thing like multiple times like in the backyard and like when when you're saying that you're one sticking without alignment i'm i don't know how you do that because like that's where i have to get the tension pushing off of the tree Uh uh-huh to you know dig my foot in and 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 go up toe to tree man toe to tree yeah, and I've done it, uh, you know, dozen times or so in the yard, and I'm going up one stick, and I'm f- I'm fine. And what ended up happening was I got, I fiddled around, fiddled around, fiddled around. Finally, got up all the way to height. Had to reset. That's one of the downfalls with having a, a stick mounted platforms that if it doesn't land just right, then you have to figure out where now the 17 inch platform <laughs> uh, has to land around these branches around whatever. And in doing so, I dropped my tether out of the tree. So now I have to climb all the way down and I have a three-step aider on the bottom. So I get my tether, I get back up and I'm climbing up and I'm next thing you know, I'm fucking upside down with my foot in the thing, in my lineman belt. So now <laughs> my lineman is a figure eight. I'm like head on the ground. Sweating and cursing. Sweating and cursing. Sweating and cursing. Yes, 100%. And this wasn't even uh, what you'd call a unique tree or uh, <laughs> uh, one, one of those. But but yeah, so I've I've used like a, a three-step aider. And after that, I pretty much abandoned it. And I was like, it's just not, it's not worth it. And... Um, but with with those two aiders and using three sticks and that fourth stick with the platform on the top, I mean, I can get. I think I measured it to like almost sixteen feet, which is which is fine. I mean, when you're talking about going up and hunting thirty, um, 
I don't, I don't think I have anywhere around here that I've hunted that I need to be that high just with back cover and, and everything. But I've definitely hunted that high, like in hill country, like in, in Missouri, I was, man, I swear it was like 20 feet on this side and 90 feet on this side. I mean, I was way up in this tree, but you know, as the hill goes down and you know, you're, you're riding that one third, right. You know, you, you're, you're up, you know, 25, 30 feet and you're eye level with the ridge. But on that side, it's like, you could fall for a long, long time. Um, but 17 inches, I just, it just is an odd number, especially with the API stick, which started out as a three step, 32 inch monster. Right. Yeah. And, and I run a seven, I, I have a two step 17 inch aider that I, that I use on it as well. Yeah. But, and so no lineman climbing with an, a multi-step aider. What's, what's that process like? Just, I, I, I rely on the tension in my tether a lot. So, and that's where, that's where the mad rock I think is key. So when I, when I, um, basically once I get the last thing that I do is clip into my tether, I get everything set up and, um, I clip into my tether and I, the, I put tension into my, into my tether onto my saddle. And so, and I'm do, I, I'm doing two things with that. One is I, I put tension on it and then I drop back into my saddle and, and I really give it some weight just to make sure that everything's working correctly before I get myself up off the ground. And then I'm also, I'm, I'm putting tension to that line. So when I, I always go toe to tree with my left foot first uh, because it's my natural leg and I can get really good drive and I have ankle articulation with that leg. Um, that's, that's the only thing that I miss about having a regular right leg is I don't have ankle articulation. It's an amazing thing, man. Whoever created ankle articulation, <laughs> Nobel prize. So any, <laughs> anyhow, I always go toe to tree left foot and I have, I have tension in that tether atom and I keep, I keep my hand on the working end of my line. And as I step up and drive to get my, my right foot up onto that, the second step of my aider, I'm pulling slack out of my line and working that line through my, my mad rock. So it's, I'm, it's assisting with my lift. And if I, if I lose my balance or if I shift one way or the other, I'm not falling backwards. Um, I'm not sliding down the face of the tree. If you were using your lineman's belt, you'll, you know, if, if you slip or fall with your lineman's, you're falling into the tree and sliding down the face of that trunk, right? I don't do that. Um, if I come off of my stick or if, if I lose my toe to tree and my, and my foot slides out and I go sideways into the tree, I'm just hanging there. And all I have to do is just reset my foot and then just start the process all over again. And, and I do that. I, I'm, I'm resetting my, my tether every step of the way. So I, I close to that. So I can, I can get my, my tether up over my head and I don't have to adjust it again until I'm up secured onto my stick. And then I, I, I put my tether up and then I, I do my, you know, I do my leapfrog as I go up and then it's the same thing when I'm, when I'm stepping onto that, that, uh, that aider, I'm always pulling, 
slack out of my line as I'm climbing because it allows me to one, it, it takes some of the strain off of my legs because I'm I'm using the I'm using that mad rock as I'm ascending up my line as I'm stepping up my aiders as well. And if if I if I have to stop for any reason, no matter what happens in that climb, I, I just sit back into my saddle and the weights off my legs and I'm suspended and I can and I can manipulate whatever I need to do. If I'm sweating and cursing, I can just stop and just take a breath. And that's that's so that's another thing too, is you know. Some guys will panic a little bit if their climb isn't going perfectly. If they, if you panic or get stressed out, that's when Murphy really steps in and can really take control of your hunt. There's no reason to, you know, you're not going to, you're unless, you know, unless you're literally falling, you're not going anywhere. So just take a second, just stop for a second, take a breath, say, okay, what is going on? Is, is is my line wrapped around my foot? Is is my is my aider caught on my you know? Am I am I hooked on my aider? I've had that happen. I'm, I've 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 had my prosthetic get hung up in my aider, and you know, I, again, there's that ankle articulation thing. I can't point my toe down and just let the aider fall off of my foot, right? I gotta figure out how I'm gonna unhook my aider from my prosthetic, and uh, you know, it's you know, if you're in 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 a technical tree and, and you, and you swing down to the underside of the lean, you know, well, okay. You know, hang there for a second if you need to, and look and look at the scenario and say, okay, what do I have to do to fix myself? It's not an emergency. It's not a big problem. It's stop being in a rush and just, just take a second to, to assess your environment and get a plan together and then go back and start climbing your tree. And um, I think a lot of some guys lose that when they're when they're in that process, especially because, you know, can I climb a tree faster with my hand climber than I can one sticking? One hundred percent. I um, I I had my lone wolf down to a science. I could climb with that thing lickety split um, much faster than I can one sticking. Is speed my number one goal in saddle hunting? Absolutely not. And enjoying my climb and doing it safely and getting up the tree quietly to where I want to hunt from. That's my number one goal with my saddle. I think we should video John's first attempt at one sticking. What do you think? You think that'd be, I think that's a great idea. All right. I, I, I I'm in. that's the great learning John. That, that's it's, gr- that's great content for you to learn from. Yeah. And we can, and then the rest of us can laugh from it. Exactly. Oh, there's going to be some laughing for sure. Sweating and cursing. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a big sweater and, and cursor, especially if I'm following Adam in the woods. Oh my gosh. Always back to that, yeah. you know, but yeah, man, like, I don't know. I feel like we haven't given you your like do, you know, we've just been sitting here chatting, saddle hunting and, and all of that, that stuff. Um, That's what we're supposed to be doing. Well, yeah, I mean, you have a couple beers, you know, the listener, you know, that's one of the things I was having that conversation today with another podcaster who's, we were talking about like, you know, what's next and, and, you know, who are your, who do you look up to like in the space or, or whatever. And, you know, he had chosen, someone who does a podcast that's extremely edited and there's music and there's uh, 
sound effects and stuff and it's a big story and there's a lot you know it's scripted and researched and i said man i don't i don't like those podcasts and i've actually referenced that guy and and said that's not the podcast for me you know because that's a it's an outdoors version of like a true crime or something where everything's like snipped together like i much prefer to have a beer or to have a conversation where, you know, you can get into depth about whatever you want to, but you laugh and you have, you know, maybe, maybe you don't agree. Maybe you say that, uh, you know, John's a tethered guy and uh, you hurt his feelings, uh, with all of your talk, the tethered bashing. Um, but no, I, you know, for, for us, We don't have like there isn't like a goal. It's not like a, a a next step. Like I did not. There was no solution to have a, a resolution. It was just you know we. You said you know that your hunting you know mentality is like twenty four seven like balls to the wall. And I I think you know this here, and I hope it shows through, like I said, in, in our first impressions or whatever. Um, but like, this is how we live our life. I mean, John's maybe splits his time a little bit more with fishing than I would prefer to, um, waste I love time. To fish too. A waste of if, time. If, I, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm not hunting, I'm, I'm fishing. And if I'm not hunting or fishing, I'm running. I'm not, I'd rather be running uh-huh. than fishing. <laughs> no, I love fishing, but, but this is just, you know, the kind of like what our passion is, right. Is having these conversations, learning, um, and it, you know, we talk to people with, you know, that are obviously way better hunters than we are, um, and, and try to get as much as we can out of those and people that are in the outdoor industry or in the space that took this idea from that we all had right mm-hmm. we, we we every time a new like game changing product comes out you know 75% of the people that you talk to say i thought about that 20 years ago or like I, you know yeah. but how do you bring that that out and i think you know, in, in, in talking to you and, and guys like yourself, I mean, that's to like motivate and to inspire people that there isn't like, there's nothing stopping you from doing this. If you, uh, not the, it's so fucking weird having this, uh, like be on video and things. I feel like I just have like Wayne's world in my basement. Like, I feel like that's exactly what this is. Like, that's what we come down here and do. But if you want to start a podcast, if you want to start a blog, if you want to start, you know, if you want to be in some space, like there's nothing stopping you except for your mind saying you can't, or you shouldn't or, or, or whatever. And I I think it's it's great. It's your want, Adam. It really, it really comes down to how bad you want to do something. I, I, I tell people, it, it, I brought it up earlier. It's not, it's not a matter. 90, 95 to 99% of the time, it's not whether you can or can't. It's 
whether you want to. You know, there's there's people out there that have thousands of dollars in the bank and their credits poop because they don't pay their bills. It's not because they can't. They just don't want to. Uh, they don't want to sit down and pay their bills, you know. And I'm not, and I'm not telling the average guy that you know not all of us can be Tom Brady, right? Um, I've I've qualified and, and finished the Boston Marathon three times. Um, will I ever podium the Boston Marathon? Absolutely not. It doesn't matter how hard I train or how focused I am in the training cycle for the Boston. Um, at 49 years old, my cardiovascular system just does not support. Um, my running ability that I had when I was in high school. I, I'm not fast enough anymore to go out and podium at the Boston. Can I qualify for and go finish the Boston? Absolutely. Big why? Because I want to. It's not a matter of whether I can or can't. I I want to do that. Um, I drive a car just like everybody else. I'm missing my right leg. And I've had other amputees ask me, how do you drive your car? Uh, because I want to. I I made the choice to live my life as natural as I possibly can, and everybody has the ability to do that. Um, I I had people at the ATA ask me, "How do you saddle hunt?" Well, I saddle hunt just like just like Adam and John do. I saddle hunt just like Kevin and Jake and and Alex do. Um, the same way, I just. I may have wanted it just a tad bit more, and it took a little more effort on my part to figure out how to do it. But other than that, I saddle hunt just like everybody else, and it's because I wanted to do it. Um, and that's that's the biggest thing, man. It's it's not can or can; it's want. And so, what do you want to do next? So, what's what's next up for you in this journey? Well, f- on which which part of it, Adam? Um, this year, I have a really cool hunting lineup. It's going to be a busy big game season for me. Um, and I'm not. We won't even talk about turkey hunting or bass fishing. Um, I uh, I was one of the fortunate few that pulled their, their number one choice in Idaho for archery elk and mule deer. Uh, so I will be in the southeast corner of Idaho in the middle of September, um, chasing big bulls. Um, I returned from that and I will be hunting whitetail in Texas. I've never hunted Texas. Um, so I'm going to Texas to hunt whitetail this year. Um, I will be hunting Sika elk on the Eastern shore of Maryland again this year. Um, I will be back in Nebraska hunting whitetail with Tim and Al, um, this year. Uh, I will be hunting Pennsylvania and Maryland for whitetail this year. Uh, so I, I have a I have a great hunting lineup this year, and the majority of those of those hunts will be executed out of the saddle. I mean, I'm taking saddle gear on my elk hunt. If um if the bulls aren't moving, um I'm going to I'm going to go climb a tree over a over a wallow and potentially shoot an elk out of my saddle. Um, for limitless outdoors, my goals this year. So I started a blog and gear reviews, and um. My goal with that is to publish um, one to two, either a blog or a gear review or both every month for the entire year. Um, and my other goal for that is to to have to be published somewhere else besides my own website. 
So whether it be um, in a in an, in a printed magazine somewhere or on another dot com, uh, my other goal for this year is to have something that I write published outside of my social media or or website. It's not the first time that all have been published, but that's my goal for this year. I haven't I haven't been published since two thousand and twenty. Um, so that's that's my goal for this year. Nice. Okay. So what? Um, one question I always ask our guests. What is your bow setup? What are you shooting this year? Uh, currently, I have a Prime Black 3, um, 65-pound limbs, pulling 67. Um, I have a, Q8, uh, a um, QAD HDX rest. Um, I shoot the EZV bow sight. I shoot the um, – um, give me a second. My mind just went blank. Um, Oh, I'm writing a gear review on yeah, it. Your too. gear reviews are awesome, I bet. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, my my stabilizer is um, the crossover stabilizer. It's the uh, telescopic stabilizer. Okay. Um, so it's crossover stabilizer. I shoot um, serious archery um, shafts, carbon shafts, and I'm a I'm a big VIP um, fan. Uh, Matt, Matt's a, he's a good friend of mine. So I, um, I'm shooting veteran innovative product broadheads. I've, I've shot the veteran, the combat vet, and, uh, I was testing the commander this last fall. That's what I shot my Nebraska nine point with, and I'll be shooting the commander, um, everywhere this year, except for Idaho. Idaho is fixed blade only. Um, and I have not landed on the fixed blade that I'll be shooting. I'm, I'm thinking that it might be the striker the G5 striker. Um, but I might go to an actual fixed blade, um, serious bought out tough head. And I, I might, they have a, they have 150 grain three blade tough head that they're, uh, that they're launching right now. And I, I, I haven't made the determination if I'm going to, if I'm going to go that route or if I'm looking more like the striker G4, uh, the, the G5 striker, sorry. So the, it, I've been looking at them and I think, I think it's more of this guy fear of the, the tongue lashing of, uh, of trying out that easy V. Uh, what can you tell me about that? No, hold on. Hold on. I have no problem with the easy V. <laughs> I mean, I've, I mean, Garrett shoots that, right. Mm-hmm. And I think I heard you speaking about that at the ATA, but I don't have any problem shooting that for like hunting and stuff, but so I love hunting, but I love shooting target archery also, or, you know, shooting dots and, and small game unlike this guy over here. Uh, but so that I, I think it's a great, you know, it's a great site. I mean, you don't have to, it helps eliminate judging yardage, right? I mean, go ahead and speak to it. So it's the it, the base. You guys understand um, what BCD is for optics, right? For hunting optics. Mm-hmm. So it's basically it, it's it allows you to shoot in almost instinctively tradition like traditional style with your bow, and it's based off of the science of of B, of the BCD um, technology. So Aaron the the so, guy that developed. Yes, I don't mean to interrupt you, but explain that for our listeners. The BCD. What what 
BCD is. So yeah. it's the phys- it's the physics in um, in your ballistics or your trajectory. Um, so for an arrow, um, Aaron took the um, he did he did all the math behind your different um, draw weights and your air, your arrow weight setup, basically the speed that you're shooting, and then just did all the math on those trajectories and built them into the different discs that you put into you, that bow site so that when you're shooting, he also, so he lives out in Montana, um, very close to Yellowstone. And he did a lot of research and studying on big game animals and the size of their chest cavity. And they all, all big game animals have very close to the same kill zone, roughly 13 inches in that kind of like football shape. Right. Right. And so that's what he built that design off of and did all the, all the, uh, all the physics behind it. So once you dial in your bow speed and which disc you need, they're in, they're in, um, uh, is it uh, 10 or 20 feet per second increments? And, um, you, you just swap those discs out until you get everything dialed in. And once you get it dialed in, it's almost like your optics on your crossbow. Um, it's, it's amazing. And so my background with it is I am, my vision was declining and I, I did not want to have to wear glasses. So I just didn't go to the eye doctor and the basic, um, eye exam that you get in the military that you get annually, that it's a real basic test. And I was passing them all, but my vision was crap. Um, and so I created my own target panic because my vision was so bad and, and I shot for so, for so many years with bad vision, um, with a pin sight that, that target panic, um, I have target panic really bad now. And when I switched to the easy V side, it took that away because I don't, I, I'm not focused on, on getting that pin and, and jerking my shot. It's just, I have an open sight picture. And it's just, it's a very natural, traditional way of shooting. And I'm, I'm far more accurate now with the EZV than I have been for probably four years with the pin sight. And I, and I don't have a range finder anymore, um, which is not, I really like the idea of it, um, but it's very appealing for me when I'm elk hunting. When you're in a tree stand, you can pre-range yardage your shooting lanes, right? Um, but when you're elk hunting or when you're, when you're like spot and stock style, big game hunting, you don't necessarily have that time and ability to just range all of your target lanes. Um, so you, this gives me the ability to, I know that, Hey, you know, roughly, you know, 50 yards is my max shot that I'll take on an elk this, this September. Um, so I, I don't even have to worry about really taking a, a range finder with me. I just, that, that elk comes into range and I, uh, I draw and shoot. Yeah. I've been uh, told John last night because of, you know, not necessarily like gear review stuff, but just trying to try out all this different stuff to be able to, to speak on it intelligently. Right. Is that we just need to get like a, a, a shop bow that we right. just slap all this stuff on, play around with and and do it but like that's one thing that just keeps keeps showing up and i just keep like ah you know i don't know like so the the other thing that i really like about that side is it's bulletproof guys it's so simple 
There's no micro adjustment knobs on it. There's no micro adjustment screws. It literally has like for the entire side, I think it's five bolts. That's including the two bolts that you use to secure it to your, your riser. Um, that some guys complain about trying to get it set up because there is no micro adjustment, but it's simple. Um, I literally, when I, when I, when I received the EZV in the mail, I had my sights swapped out and I was shooting accurately at 40 yards in less than an hour. So explain from 20, explain the, uh, the V like how it works for everybody. I mean, like we, as the, as the animal gets out farther away, you kind of adjust that. Go ahead, Ali. That's that's so that's that's basically that's exactly what you're doing, John. Is the that V? You guys, the viewers can't see me, but it's like goalposts. So the closer you are, the higher the vital zone is in that goalpost because you're you're framing it within that 13 inch like football shaped kill zone on the animal, and the further away that animal gets. Um, the the narrower that goalpost gets in your sight picture, that that's how it works. Um, a turkey is basically a, a you know a mature tom is about thirteen inches wide. So even for turkey hunting, you know you still you just you frame that turkey in that V, but whatever yardage he is, and and you take your shot. Um, I haven't played around yet with smaller targets. Um, I like to shoot grouse when I'm archery hunting in September. If, if the state that I'm in is, if it's, if season's open for grouse, I like to shoot grouse. And I talked to Aaron. Aaron's a guy that, that designs, designed it and owns the company. I talked to him about it and he told me, he said, just, you just got to go out and practice. He said, just go practice framing a grouse size target. And he said, you'll, you'll, it doesn't take very long and it just comes. It's, it's, it's natural. Um, but it, it's bulletproof guys. It's so simple. And I encourage you to try it, Adam. It's, uh, the other, the other great thing about Aaron and his easy V side is he gives you a 30 day money back guarantee other than shipping. So you could, you could order one and you could play with it for a month. And if it's not for you, you put it back in its packaging, you know, put a return label on it, send it back to him and he'll give you your, your money back. I think that would be like great for, for Frank. Frank. I was thinking that just in my head and like what he's been going through. The only thing is, so have you shot like what's the distance with that site? Like, so have you taken it to the total archery challenge, something like that? No, I'm so that's happening this, uh, this June. I'm going to the total archery challenge in Pennsylvania. Um, come on, Michigan. like what the weekend before that. Yeah. You're retired. Come on up. No, we no Michigan, man. Uh, I'll, I'll be going to Pennsylvania. Um, but uh, I, I will be going to TAC in Pennsylvania. And uh, the furthest I've shot with the EZV is 50 yards. So it, it will be interesting when I go to TAC and start throwing shafts at targets that are 60, 70, 80 plus yards. Away. 120. 120, yeah. 120. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I plan on going to tack with like two to three dozen arrows. Yeah. You better be, uh, find somebody for a, a gear review that wants to send you two dozen. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's a, guys. Um, 
there are there are shooters with the EZV that go to 3D shoots and smoke people with it. Um, I think on the average, if you're trying to shoot like competition or you're shooting like three spot or five spot, it's going to be hard to beat a pin sight. It really is. There's guys that are that accurate with that with the EZV. Am I that accurate? Um, not to go into a 20 yard range on a five spot target and 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 prop and compete with you with a pin sight, but I range with the EZV at 30 and 40 yard ranges. I do not shoot at the same spot every time because I will I'll tear veins and, and break knocks. It's a very accurate low side. Cool. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm glad to have this conversation and especially uh, for the listener, but for myself too, it's like, it's another one of those uh, saddle type things where it's like, well, that, and I mean, I know you've had some issues lately with, with some what? target panic. What? I mean, Come on. This guy, he's calling me out here. Well, I, I told him, I said, you know, there's <laughs> a podcast. It's called <laughs> Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And you know, those guys interview some really good guys like Joel Turner and the shot IQ and, you know, the process. And I said, you should really listen to that. <laughs> you know, I, um, I, sh- I shot the, uh, the IQ, um, spot lock for a couple of years. Um, and, the, and I, and I went away from the IQ because it broke on me weeks before I was going on an elk hunt. Yeah. And, the, uh, the, you're so, talking about the site. The shot, the that's correct. Yeah. Yep, yep. I am. Um, so my my IQ broke on me, and um, their customer service um, wasn't the greatest, and I couldn't get parts for it uh, because IQ doesn't make their own sites; they're shipped in from overseas, so you can't get parts for it. So I dumped it, and um, I tried a black gold, and I and I was shooting real heavy arrows. And um, I couldn't get the yardage out of the black gold that I wanted. Um, so I went from the black gold to a spot hog, Tommy hog. Um, and uh, the gentleman at, at spot hog that that I had long conversations with, um, Chris, he, um, he talked me into doing the Tommy hog because it has a slider. I had never had a slider in my life. I never really had an interest in a slider. Um, but he had me convinced to try try the slider. And after hunting an entire season with the Tommy Hog, I'd never ever set up my slider. I just I had that big monster sight on my bow, and I was shooting it as a five pin. Right. And when I um, last uh, last year, I was looking at it, and I'm out on the range shooting with it. And I and I didn't elk hunt last year. I was just strictly whitetail hunting. And I'm thinking to myself. Why am I sitting in a saddle shooting at ranges 30 yards or less with this monster five pin slider on my bow? It's ridiculous, right? Right. So I, so I, and, and I kept having the EZV pop up in my social media feeds just over and over and over. It was like that. It was like that. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> it just kept. It kept speaking to me, you know, over and over. So finally, and I was like, it's a 30 day money back guarantee. So again, Aaron sat down and watched all of the YouTube videos that Aaron has out. And he has some very specific YouTube videos on, on how to set your site, how to swap your sites 
how to set your site up, how to shoot your site. I mean, it's they're, they're very short informational YouTube videos and they break it down Barney style and their money. And then I watched a whole bunch of guys using it. And I and I called them on the phone. I was like, hey, man, I, I want to tie up 20 minutes of your time and I want to talk to you about your site. He was like, right on, let's do it. You want 30 minutes? We'll talk for 30 minutes. And he's just very candid and friendly. And we chatted and he said, hey, you're a veteran. I won't even charge you shipping. Your site's going out in the mail today. I was like, okay, done. So he sent it to me. And like I said, guys, in less than an hour, I was shooting. I had swapped sites out and I was shooting accurately from 20 yards to 40 yards. And I was like, this is incredible. I love it. No more target panic. Um, no more range finder. No more sitting up in my tree trying to figure out, you know, what, what yardage was this? What yardage was that? I just, I just shoot now. That was my, that was my road from a five pin site to the EZV. Nice. Well, I think you sold me. Like I said, I, well, we are already getting the rest. We got to put on some bow. So you may have just cost me another bow. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. the one thing. Hey, I did set us up with three bows. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. We got, we have an abundance of bows. Um, I'm, I'm eyeballing a new bow right now, but I haven't decided if I'm going to pull the trigger on it yet. And which one is that? The inline. I'm, I'm looking at going from the black three to the inline three. Yeah, that's the new prime. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's fantastic. I love my black three. It shoots like a dream, but the inline is it's really nice. Well, and since you've started this new LLC and you've got all of these tax write-offs, I mean, you just got to do a review on it, and then you just keep your other boat for all of your other testing purposes. I mean, I don't know where there's a conversation to be had. Well, so I am a new business owner, so uh, maybe that's something that we talk about offline, Adam. <laughs> I, you probably have more experience with that than I do. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not good at it. I just buy a lot of stuff. And, <laughs> you know, I give it to the accountant guy, and he says, <laughs> "Hey, we we have a we have a phrase in the military. It's if if you're not good at it, look good at it. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, but yeah, this is fun. I'm glad we got to do this. I'm glad the power stayed on and. Uh, you know, me too. <laughs> like, we, I'm like, we could do it over the phone. It would be just fine. That's not a big. Well, deal. so the, the bad part is, is we're in it. We're in a we're in a dead space here. We have very poor cell phone service in this area that we live in. So without the Wi-Fi in the home, uh, we drop calls all the time. Yeah, that's not fun. You can't. You can't even. You can't even you can't even get on like look at Facebook or surf social media or check your email on your phone if the Wi-Fi is not working in our house. It's just we have no service here. If I when I walk out to get in my truck, I'll drop a call. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's well, great. But yeah, like I said, it, and it's almost better because there was like so much going on at the show and it's loud and yeah, that's all this stuff. You know. It, you always go there with like the best of intentions um, to get your stuff recorded and all that stuff. But in reality, it's, you know, to, to make these connections and have that experience. And then we just come back, reflect on it. And then we have time to dive in, you know, to all the stuff that we want to. So, uh, so uh, are, are you guys going to any other shows this year? No, that's something that we need to talk about offline too, because I've, as much fun as I have at ATA, 
and uh, we go there. And I think this year was probably one of the more productive years for us um, there. I think we need to start going to some of the consumer shows and just setting up and yeah. hanging out. and Like uh, the Great American Outdoor Show in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Yep. Yeah, I know that uh, Latitude's going to be there. Alex said, you know, if you want to come for a weekend or during the week or or whatever, um, you know, feel free to come by. But it's just, I don't know. I've never what done about, it. Uh, what, are you guys familiar with HHA USA? So I know you're familiar with HHA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had but Chris on about- and we're familiar with his uh, shoots okay. and the things that he does. We So the last couple of years we've been trying to put on a shoot. And we talked about kind of trying to partner with him, but at the at that time, uh, they weren't ready with his um, company or whatever to go multi-state. They weren't set up to do that, so we were going to try and figure that out. And that's something we have to talk about for this year for for trying to put together a shoot. Our we have, and it's something that we I take for granted. And when I post stuff like I posted today about us shooting at the, our club. People just go bananas that we have this resource and it's just right down the road. Yeah, it's and we got seven minutes from our house. We got nine shooting lanes at an indoor club and then three lanes on the other side with a full shop with a bow press, draw board, all that. We have a full field course. We've got target archery out to like almost 100. Well, yeah, so we have our indoor course, like Adam says, nine lanes at our main the main facility and i mean literally you walk there then there's the the three lane uh testing and tuning lanes and then out back there's multiple 20 yard bales all the way out to 80 in five yard increments so that's and then they have a nice you know benches area bench area uh bow hangers and then we have a full setup field course that's that stays up year round, and then we have a thirty uh, station three D range, so with multiple elevated stands, and that we they set that up maybe five times a year during the summer. The different clubs come out, and yeah, do- there's like Michigan shoots, like you know they ha- there's a couple sanctioned shoots that they do there. Yeah, um, West Michigan three D league, and then they also so then in the the summer. Like leading up to the hunting season, originally that that thirty station was a broadhead league, and so they cut out cardboard cutouts, and then there's sandbackers, and then everyone goes out. You know, you shoot with your broadheads, mark them with a crayon, yeah, and then so they still have the broadhead league, but that stays up year round too. So like, if, wow, and mo- there's usually cardboard targets out there you know, the whole time. So, and you pay, I think for us, a single membership for just a non-working is like $77 for a year. You get a key card. You can go there 24 seven. Wow. If I feel like I'm going to go, I want to go to my boat at 3 AM. I go there, walk, you know, hit my key card, go in, turn on the lights. You just got to make sure, and you know, clean up after yourself, turn out the lights, lock up. And so, like right now, January, the first week of January, we started our winter league. So we shoot on Wednesday night and we just shoot a small game league. So it's a fun league. You know, we shoot at silhouettes, you know, 
turkey, bobcat, rabbits, ducks, you know, and it's from five or from seven yards out to 30. And so, you know, that's great. Have you, well, have you guys considered packing up your gear and going to a Wisconsin to one of Chris's shoots and, um, doing some sit downs with some of the, some of the veterans that he has out there shooting? We talked about it, but I think I don't remember when we had him on. It was like last year. It was last year because that's he sent us the, the site for a giveaway. Yeah, so it was last year, and we just didn't didn't make it over there. Um, but it's, it's certainly uh, something that we would would consider. Yeah, I'm I'm heading up there um, in July for his Appleton, Wisconsin shoot. It's right outside of Green Bay. Yeah, so I mean. We need to just look at our schedule and figure something out because that'd be a fun, especially if you're going, that'd be awesome. Your neighbors. You yeah. guys are neighbors. Yeah. We can just hop on the boat, cut across. Cut across. Yeah. Uh, you can pick us up yeah. in Milwaukee. <laughs> sure. Sure. Say <laughs> when. Well, we could take the Badger across too. That goes up to Mantuoc. So that's even closer. Well, I mean, yeah, and or you can always just, you know, drive the hunting rig. You know, so <laughs> I've done it, it. I've done it twice. I did it to hunt with latitude. I left after um, trick or treating, drove through the night, and those guys were getting up to hunt. And I pulled in just like same thing we did to Louisville. And then John and I went over to uh, Dan Infault's, Dan Infault's uh, scouting seminar. Same thing. Drove through a snowstorm into the night and uh, slept in the parking lot. And Dan like taps on the window and he's like. Uh, Somebody was excited to get here, and it was like, no, John's cheap. And he's like, we're not paying, you know, for a hotel down the road to stay for two hours. He's like, we'll just sleep in the car. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> what's the point? We're going to go sleep for two hours in a hotel? <laughs> Screw that. Uh, so one one last event, um, Adam, you and I were texted about this the other day, <clears throat> the, uh, the Mobile Hunters Expo. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. It's the end of July. It's in Winchester, Ohio. So it's a uh, Chris Leppert is um, he is the he's he's got fueled um, fueled by the outdoors. This is the second year that he's hosted it, and um, last year was the first year. I think he he planned it in three days, and they had several hundred people show up. Uh, this year, he's already in the planning stages for it. Um, they have a They've rented out a big building, um, big outdoor area. It's a two hundred dollars uh, for an exhibit space, uh, three days long. He's going to have several guest speakers there. I um, I'll, I'll be speaking. He hasn't given me a topic yet. Um, hopefully, it's something that I know something about. <laughs> I guess I've already told him that I'll come speak. Um, but it's going to be a great event, and it's it's all focused on mobile hunting and tree saddle hunting and he has a great list of vendors already um they're anticipating several thousand people rolling through there over a three-day period uh so that might be something you guys uh might want to look at and it might be a good venue for you to set up your your equipment and and uh do some podcasting with some folks yeah i'll have to think about that we'll wrap this up we can chat about this stuff offline and uh sounds good where can people follow along with your uh gear reviews your youtube um you know if they want to reach out to you if they're you know you you motivated them and maybe they're an amputee or something and you know how how do they get a hold of you 
so it's it's all the all the same language. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on YouTube, um, I'm on Gmail, and my website. It's all limitlessoutdoors.com uh, or Limitless Outdoors. But it, it is it's spelled L I M B I T L E S S, and then outdoors. Um, and specifically for YouTube, if you if you start typing in Limitless outdoors on youtube there is a guy that has limitless outdoors spelled the uh the correct way on youtube and youtube has the uh the auto spell function on it so it's 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 difficult navigating to my page um straight from youtube um but uh that's that's where i'm at limitless outdoors and um again i launched my website in november and um i i have some blogs up i have a gear review there will be more content on my site as the year progresses so I, I appreciate anybody that wants to come look at my stuff and and that's you can message me on Facebook or Instagram. Um, my email is on my website um, limitless.outdoors at gmail.com. you know if there's something that you want me to, to look into or write about or if um, if anybody has a piece of gear they want me to do a review on I'm um, I am I am I'm a small veteran owned LLC. So I'm not funded by anybody. So I'm, I'm not directed to say or do anything other than I will give my unbiased, open, honest opinion about whatever it is I'm speaking on. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. We appreciate it, man. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. No problem. Took long enough. Come on. (laughs) At least you didn't bail on us. Appreciate that. You're welcome.